That was cool, huh? <laughs> I love those things. If uh, you guys can get out your Bibles, we'll be in uh, 1 Kings. You can begin to uh, find that book. It's in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms, go to the left. And uh, for those of you who are new, we have outlines for you in the packets that you got when you came in. And we begin our series on Elijah, which I'm very excited about, uh, teaching us about Elijah and lifting out of it the lessons for life that we have from this great prophet in the Old Testament. And this weekend is all about preparing for the mountaintops of life. On Father's Day weekend, we'll be at the scene of Mount Carmel, which is a huge mountaintop in Elijah's life. And this weekend and next weekend is more about preparing for those mountaintop experiences and how you and I do that. And there's, you're going to have all kinds of mountaintop experiences in your life of, of many sorts, in your careers and in your relationships and so forth. But, but it's, it's really about the preparing for it and what we do in the mundane and how we believe in the purposes of God regardless. So I, I want to show you a picture. This is a picture of me, oh, uh, I don't know, six years ago. I'm surfing in a surf spot called Cloud Break. It's very famous in surfing world. Uh, all surfers know of this break. It's uh, about a mile and a half out in the middle of the ocean. It breaks on an atoll. Uh, it doesn't break on an island. It breaks on a reef that just appears out of the ocean. And it, there's a championship uh, surf contest here every year. The Volcom World Championship is here. And I got to surf it uh, with Pastor Daryl. Actually, Pastor Daryl, our missions pastor, we surfed together a few days before this, and that day, that, that particular spot, it was called Tabarua Rights, it won the best wave in the world that day. And Daryl almost died uh, uh, that day. He almost drowned. I lost him for many minutes. And uh, so he was not surfing this day. Uh, he was in the boat taking a picture of me, which was a kind of a God thing. Uh, <laughs> but, but this wave is like an expert wave. You would have to train for long, like many years, to surf this wave. Uh, in fact, you know, even to get into it is challenging. And so you can't just go surf this wave. Now, I've taught hundreds of kids to surf over my life. We used to do it every summer. We had to have a surf camp. And, and, you know, you start out surfing, and you have to train, and you have to learn, just like in spiritual you have to train and you have to learn and you have to prepare for the mountaintops of life and if you don't prepare when you get to these kinds of experiences you really get beaten up or hurt or you just miss them altogether you don't take advantage of what God's doing in your life and you just don't see what he's doing and so and so it just passes by you in the moment so it's really about preparing for this preparing for this kind of an experience in your life uh, preparing for the mountaintop experiences of, of uh, marriage or having kids or, you know, college or you know, your career choice or, or whatever it is. Because all of those are mountaintop experiences. Like last weekend was a mountaintop experience. All the 140 whatever people that went to Baja to build the houses for the homeless, that was a mountaintop experience for them. But if they didn't prepare, and we have a process, when you go on a missions trip, we have a process by which you prepare to your heart and your mind and, you know, get ready for the experience. Otherwise, you can go and totally crash a missions experience. You can actually be the, the fly in the ointment. <laughs> so, so we have a process by which you go through. Having said that, when you go to these kinds of experiences, it it's can be a catalytic event in your life. Uh, we have an all-church baptism coming up in August, I think it is, where all the campuses will gather and go to Mission Bay and we'll baptize a bunch of people. And, and so you may be coming and you haven't been baptized since you began your relationship with Jesus. 
and Jesus calls you to do that. It's not like an option. <laughs> it's not like, well, maybe. He wants you to have this mountaintop experience so that you're, you, know, you can kind of lean into what Jesus wants to do in your life and so forth. So there's all kinds of these mountaintop experiences in our lives. The question is, how is it that you discern like, how God is working in your life? We'll see this in Elijah. How do we, how do we discern what God's doing and, and what do we, how can we like, see what God's doing, even though it's very difficult, like it's tough time, and we'll see this with Elijah. Now, I want to show you a map, okay, because I know a lot of us, you know, it's, it's a learning curve in terms of biblical history and what does it look like. Uh, in fact, if you're taking notes, write this, uh, write this down. Uh, in 930 B.C., 930, it, uh, this is when Solomon dies and the kingdom of Israel splits into two kingdoms. And it's this way for hundreds of years. If you can look at the map on the north, it says Israel. And from this time forward, Judah is southern Israel, if you will. Okay, like you, you're used to Israel, like a nation. Here it's split in two. In fact, write down 874. The scene we're going to go into is 874 B.C. So we're like fast-forwarding in future from the series in David to about, uh, you know, 125 years fast-forward down to 874. And, and this is the period of time w that we're in. And in the south, of, in Judah, Jerusalem is the capital and the place where the temple is. And in the north, they've become really eclectic and totally train-smashed their faith Yahwehism, biblical Old Testament as we would call it, they've train smashed their faith and once again become like polytheists and worshiping all of the other gods uh, that are in the whole kind of makeup of the Middle Eastern culture. And this happens right on the heels of Solomon, okay, right on the heels of it. So I just wanted to, and this is the Jordan River right here. Here's the Dead Sea. Here's the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is the River Jabbok. And, and somewhere north of there is the town of Tishba. Everybody say that. Tishba, okay? Let's go in our Bibles. I know your outline says we're going to start at a place, but I want to start at another place because we need to look at about purpose in our lives and God's chosen time. Because it's about Elijah and what he's doing. It's about you and I and what we're doing. And it's about God's timing. And sometimes God's too fast for us, and sometimes he's too slow for us. And you and I, like Pastor Danny was saying in communion, have to choose all the time who's smarter. Okay? All the time. It's, it's kind of one of the struggles of our lives. All right, so we're going to start at 16, uh, 29. Chapter 16, verse 29. And I wanted to start here because I want you guys to see, um, I want you to, s I would have to kind of teach you a bunch of stuff, and it's right there in the scripture, so I, I just want you to see it in the Bible itself, okay? Sorry, here we go. Look at verse 29. In the 38th year of King Asa, uh, of Asa, king of Judah, so that's in the south, remember? Okay, Judah's in the south. Ahab... You might circle that in your Bibles. Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel. Samaria, again, is the capital of the northern kingdom. And by the way, if you ever wondered why uh, the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews in Jesus' time, it's because of what happened here. 
okay? It's because of how they became eclectic in the north, and they started worshiping other gods in the north, and they really uh, crushed Old Testament faith, for lack of a better word, all right? So he reigns 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, and listen to this line, he did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. You do not want this said of you, okay? You do not want this said of you. But he not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, who, by the way, Jeroboam, it says in the Bible that 21 times he led the Israelites astray spiritually. 21 times. So he not only made, uh, considered it trivial to commit the sins of uh, Jeroboam, but he also married Jezebel. Jezebel, this is where Jezebel leaps onto the scene of biblical history. And this is why, by the way, remember last week I said, I said, you know, I talked about the general, the military leader Abiathar, and how I've never heard anybody name their son Abiathar, and I thought, oh, that'd be a cool name. Okay, not Jezebel. <laughs> you never have met a Jezebel, you will never meet a Jezebel. And the reason you will never meet a Jezebel is because of this story. You'll never meet a Jezebel, ever, in your life. If, she, if you ever did, you wouldn't because she would have changed her name as soon as she could. <laughs> and those names, those, those parents had just issues. Uh, anyway, Jeze Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve. By the way, everybody say this word with me, Baal. Baal. A lot of people mispronounce it. They say Baal. It's not Baal. It's Baal. <laughs> and, and Baal, in the ancient Middle Eastern world, wasn't just one god, it was like a framework of polytheism. So there were Baals over like everything, including the rain and the thunder. And you'll see why that's important in a minute, okay? So the ba uh, Eth Baal, king of the Sidonians, began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar. So the king sets up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and he, that he built in Samaria. So he builds a temple to the foreign god in their capital. That's how big of a train smash is. Ahab also made Asher, an Asherah pole, which is a whole nother kind of polytheism, a whole nother kind of religious experience, a fertility cult specifically, and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho, which was never to be done, that was against God's will. The walls of Jericho were never to be rebuilt. But he builds them anyway, which is a total in the face of God. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and set up the, its gates at the cost of his second son, uh, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. And now, onto the pages of history leaps Elijah. Okay, So here he comes, just out of nowhere. So look at what it says. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead, remember that's above the Jabbok River? We don't know exactly where Tishba is. It doesn't survive archaeologically. So we kind of surmise through a bunch of different ancient literature where it could be. Anyway, uh, so Elijah from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, so he appears onto the scene in Samaria, just boom. And he says to this evil king, as the Lord... This is all about the purposes of God on his chosen time. The God of Israel lives, whom I serve, 
there will be neither dew nor rain the next few years except at my word. So this is like a direct confront, uh, confrontation of uh, the, the Baals and Ahab and uh, Jezebel and all of their entourage. It's like a direct kind of like slam in the face with regard to it. Uh, so it's, it's, this, it's this confrontation and it's about the purposes of God. Because see, Elijah's a refugee from Israel. And he's living in Tishba, which we don't even know where that is. And he's waiting. How long did he have to wait, Pastor Mike? I don't know. How old is he? I don't know. But he's waiting, waiting, waiting. Imagine being him. Where are you, God? Where are you, God? Where are you, God? What's up with this? I mean, the whole northern nation is a train smash, and the southern nation of Judah is not all that. I mean, they have their own mess as well. So it's about this whole thing of waiting. And do you have a sense, like Elijah, do you have a sense of where God is moving in your life? Like in your work life, in your home life, in your educational experience? Do you have a sense of where he's moving right now? Because God, write it down, God is always moving. He's never stagnant. He's constantly working. Like, look at it from a New Testament perspective. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all should come to everlasting life. Who's he going to use for that? That, that's not a trick question. Who's he going to use for that? Yes, everybody point to yourself. And repeat after me. God wants to use me. So what's the problem? <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. That's the, that's the challenge of our lives. So what season are you in? You're all in different seasons of life. Last weekend, there's a family that comes to our church named the uh, uh, Stacy family. And last Sunday, I had never met Lindsay. Lindsay approached me, at least to my knowledge. She approached me and said, uh, hey, Pastor Mike, would you come and pray for my husband? And I said, sure, uh, of course I would come and pray for your husband uh, and, and talk to him and stuff. And so I said, sure. And so sh- I said, so what's, what's up with your husband? And she explained that he was uh, an EOD uh, a chief, ultimately. Uh, and he's a, he's a really radical kind of special forces guy. So he would attach to SEAL team units and, you know, different army units. And his basic role was to go into dangerous places and disarm bombs for like IEDs, you know, different kinds of bombs and stuff. And that was his deal. He also, he was extreme kind of athlete type of person. Like he, he did, he had 950 jumps out of a plane. He became an expert uh, skydiver, would train uh, skydiving and obviously his particular expertise was to fly into hot zones and you know t- with teams and go in and and you know do special ops right and so he was on a special op in Syria and he was clearing a hospital and the Syrian military person that he was working with they went into a room that had supposed to have been cleared and the Syrian was ahead of him and it exploded an ID and uh as a result of it, Kenton, this is a picture of Kenton. Kenton became a quadriplegic, uh, and hi- the bomb blew up, and uh, he lost sight. He can see out of his right eye. He can't see out of his left eye, and I, I had never met him. This guy, though, part of this story, this guy's name's Mike. Mike goes to Newbreak, and he works in kids. So Mike found out that I was going to go over and pray for Kenton, 
and I don't know Mike. I didn't know Kenton either, but Mike, he's an officer. He's an EOD officer. So Mike found out that I was going to do this, and he asked, could I go with you to pray for him, which is amazing, right? I mean, you think about Mike. He's 29 years old, so he's a young man, and, and here's this moment where he can, he can take this leap of faith because God's in it, right? And so he senses this. I didn't sense it. I didn't even know who Mike was. Mike sensed it. He said to me, hey, Pastor Mike, can I go with you and pray for this guy? I didn't know who he was, so I asked him a few clarifying questions. You might want to write that down. You always, you always want to ask a few clarifying questions. Uh, and I said, well, do you know the situation, blah, blah, blah. He says, I totally know it. Kenton is very, very famous in a small community of special force forces in, in the military. The day before this, like so thir we prayed for him Friday. Thursday, he made senior chief. So he was a chief before that, uh, and then they gave him senior chief because he's going to medically retire and so forth. And uh, the, uh, the chief's mess had given a shirt to Mike to take to Kenton. So this is the day after he made senior chief. And so we got to pray with him and encourage him. And Kenton's having a really hard time, as you can only imagine. He's a major dude, and now he's a quadriplegic. He has four children. By the way, there's an amazing foundation that was started by, how many of you have ever seen Forrest Gump? Okay, so Lieutenant Dan, he started a foundation. And they're going to buy them a, a plot of ground, I guess, in Poway and build a home, a custom-made home for him. Uh, it'll have big hallways because he's in a motorized wheelchair. It's very difficult to get around. So it's got big hallways and bathrooms and everything. I mean, is that cool or what? Isn't that awesome? Give it up for that. That's like a, that's like a miracle. But Mike, like, stepped into this, way, into this place and... And their family comes to our church, so we, we have the responsibility of taking care of their kids and this family, which is no joke, right? So it's about waiting on God, and when he does something, then you step into it. All of you are this way. This is what he's doing with you in your workplaces. It's just that you have to connect the dots, not just collect the dots. The problem is we often just collect dots and don't connect dots. And this is the lesson of Elijah, and it's waiting, it's faith for the miracles when they come. Faith for the miracles, and they're often found in the normal, boring, everyday life that you live. Mike was doing kids' ministry last Sunday. He heard about the story. Not that, I mean, kids' ministry is awesome. I used to do kids' ministry. I love kids' ministry. I'm just saying, it was his normal routine. And then, boom, opportunity happens. Wham, he chooses. So it's about this, and we'll see this with Elijah, okay? Look at uh, verses 2 through 4. Verses 2 through 4. So the, the drought, okay? So God works through Elijah. It's not going to rain. So he's taking on the Baal of rain, okay? And he says, and then verse 2, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide. Circle the word hide. It's a beautiful idea of protection in the midst of adverse, adversity, okay? Uh, leave here and hide in the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, so kind of go back-ish where you're from. Not really. He's going to have to hide east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook 
and I have ordered the ravens. This is why ravens is so important in art history. How many of you took art history growing up? Nobody? <laughs> One? Wow, you guys are challenged. How many, anybody over here? Really, you guys need to get out more. Uh, this is why ravens in art history and Elijah and the brook Kareth is like such a big deal uh, in, the, from, in art for that matter. Anyway, so he says, you're to drink from the brook. I've ordered the ravens to feed you there. So look, this is what I put on your outline. When I cut down on self-reliance, it makes room for God dependence. There's something about the language that I need to explain to you. Kareth means cut down. It means cut down. What are the lessons that Elijah and you and I have to learn in order to experience the mountaintops of life that God has for us? He has to deal with our self-reliance. Like he has to cut into our lives and carve out self-reliance. He has to do it for me. He has to do it for you. This is all the time in our lives. And God often uses the obedience of the ordinary to do the extraordinary. Like your ordinary, normal life the habits that you have, the ways that you walk in. And your trust in God grows when you develop a habit of doing what he asks. When you just start to lean into his simple requests in your life, even though you don't understand them and maybe don't even like them. <laughs> Again, all the time you got to decide, do I, am I smarter than God? Look at verse 5. So Elijah did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. So he goes to this ravine, the cut down, the cut out ravine. And then look what it says. The ravens, the ravens, every morning, every morning, they brought him the low-fat turkey sandwich from Starbucks. And every night, they brought him a Hodad's hamburger. Now, if you do not know what I just said, you need to write that down on your notes. Trust me, it's one of the best hamburgers ever in the world. There's always a line. The beat on the line is you call ahead, you phone order, you walk right past the line, you get your food, you take it right down the half block to the beach in God's country, Ocean Beach, and you sit on the wall right there. That's the, the rookies stand in the line, unless you really want to go stand on the line, whichever, whatever. But the ravens, the ravens feed him. So, um, see, he's learning to trust God. He's learning not to be self-reliant. He's learning, like, habits of normal, everyday spiritual habits of trusting God. So what habits are you working on right now? Like, what are the habits in your own life? So I just put a list of habits. Like, are you beginning your week in worship? Now, I've taught you before, 94% of San Diego County does not go to church. 94%. This is your neighborhood. Everywhere you live. How many of you live in La Mesa? Raise your hands. You guys live in La Mesa? Hardly any. Oh, this section again. <laughs> okay, so 94% of La Mesa, 94% of Tierra Santa, 94% of uh, PB, wherever, doesn't go to church. Of those in America who go to church, the average person goes three out of eight weekends um, uh, at a time. Three out of eight. Now, this is no reflection on you, unless it is. <laughs> I am just saying, if this is true of you, I want to challenge that presupposition. 
because it's about habits, you guys. It's about habits in your life. And like if I only get your kids in kids ministry three out of eight, it's not going to go well for you when they hit middle school. Let me just say it. This is not going to go well. Uh, if, if, if you only go to three out of eight, you're not even going to know the story of Elijah. You're going to have this story, and then you're going to have, you know, Elisha, because that's where we're going to be in the next series or whatever. You're not going to have the habits, and the habits are everything, uh, like, like listening to his voice and, and uh, you know, uh, relationships like life groups and so forth, tithing and generosity, th- which is huge. Uh, you, and that's why last weekend was so important, because, see, we don't just uh, have the people go on the missions trip. We give them more ministries, $30,000 out of our kingdom builders every year to support what Amor does, okay? So you buy your generosity, that's what it does. And I would challenge you, like from a kingdom builder standpoint, to give more to kingdom builders than you do to Starbucks in a year. Just saying. It's about habits and serving Inside and out, all these things. So, and it's also about uh, a word, it's about an idea, neuroplasticity. How many of you have heard of this word? Okay, several of you. Neuroplasticity. Uh, this is the power of science and what science is showing us that demonstrates the power of Scripture and the amazing power of God in your lives. So I thought I'd ask one of our scientists, he's a, d- a doctor, a psychiatrist named Scott, I, I, wanna, I thought it'd be fun for you to listen to what he says about the power of your brain and neuroplasticity and habits, okay? Uh, hello, I'm Dr. Scott Bunner. I've been at Newbreak for five plus years. Uh, I've been married to my wife, Bethany, for 27 years. Uh, we are leading a life group here at Newbreak now for the past year. Uh, we have four children. Uh, ages 20, 17, 13, and 10. Uh, And um, I've been a psychiatrist here in San Diego for the past 20 years. I do general adult psychiatry and I've worked for the County of San Diego for around 20 years. Question, what is neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity is a way of describing how our neurons, the cells in our brain, reconnect and reform throughout our entire life. And that our brain is plastic and, and again, can kind of heal and reshape no, at no matter what age. What we've really been finding out over the past five, 10 years is that our brain is much more malleable and, and able to reconnect and change the way it um, acts and interacts with the world. So as we learn new things, uh, we can change the way we think and feel and act based on setting new habits. Um, This is important because what it means is throughout our life, we should continue to learn and do new things and especially in our walk with God you know God talks in his word about meditating on his word daily and putting it in our minds and our hearts and the reason he wants to do that is he wants to help us think more like him feel more like him and act more like him so we can take on that character of God better each day 
So neuroplasticity is a way that really helps reinforce that idea. It's, you know, God is the creator of all and he's the creator of our minds. And uh, he's known for a long time that we can continue to be more like him every day, no matter where we're starting from. Isn't that cool? It's very hope-giving. By the way, thank you, Scott, for doing that. That was great. Give him a hand for doing it. Uh, it's very hope-filled. It's, it, it gives us hope. No matter how rough our life is, if we'll do the things of God based upon his grace, right? His grace is the first mover. But then we, in obedience, we start to develop habits. It'll actually change the way our brain has become, which is really cool. Like, like it gives you new insight into Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not just a, a kind of philosophical or lofty idea. It's a, it's a physical idea. Anyway, look at this. Characters often molded in the mundane of the valley, not simply showcased on the mountain. Uh, in a couple of weeks, we'll be here. But a after a long time, three years of drought. So Elijah is in these experiences for three years, preparing for Mount Carmel, really. And just like in your life, you're preparing. But it's about being molded in the mundane, not just on the mountaintops. We want the mountaintops. I, I want the mountaintops. I don't like the valleys. <laughs> I don't like Kareth Ravine, you know. Although the ravens thing is cool. Uh, you know, I like that. So what are the mundane tasks that you're dealing with? Like your life. What's your normal, everyday life? The parts of it that seem boring mundane. Those are often the most important times. You may be wondering why I have diapers up here. <laughs> I have them up here because it can be like when you have the babies, okay? It can be kind of like that. This is a picture of my twin grandbaby girls, Dylan and Wesley. I have no idea which one is Dylan <laughs> or Wesley. I have to ask all the time. I don't ask them I ask their mom and their dad. My son Ryan half the time cannot tell which one they are. They're identical. Like their teeth are buck and their teeth are identically bucked. <laughs> like they're identically jacked up, which they're super stoked about because they thought, man, I'm glad Wesley didn't have like beautiful teeth and Dylan have like jacked up teeth, whatever. <laughs> uh, but like Melanie, Melanie went from being the Hurley rep of Orange County, which is the most sought after position in Hurley, clothing in the world. Uh, the Hurley rep of Orange County is the best deal. And then she got pregnant. She had a two-year-old uh, two at the time, Holden. And then she got pregnant with these twins. And it was game, set, match. She became a stay-at-home mom overnight. And she's a little person, too. She's like sh a shrimp. And, and she, was pr she carried both babies. And they were both birth weight, their birth weight was, as, was larger than Holden. So she had two Holdens in her. And then she had twins. So, so she, so, but she's learned so many lessons in the diaper time. She's still in it, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> Aren't they adorable? Uh, anyway, what's the diaper time that you're struggling with? Like we all have diaper time. It's when things aren't going well and when we're in the routine of life. Vacations along the way away, you know, whatever. You're in the normal everyday duty of life, right? Like, like, like that, right? Like, Adam, you're about to hit that, you know? <laughs> He's going to go from a student and whatever, all the freedom you've had to different, right? <laughs> so it, it's about that, you guys. It's about this stage of life. 
It's super important for the mountaintops. And by the way, diaper time can be great. I mean, I get it's poopy and messy. I'm just saying, diaper time can be precious if you lean into it. It's, it can be a wonderful time of life, but you have to give yourself over to it. Like when I have, I'm not natural at this, but when I go to Austin, which is where they live, the kids go away and they leave us with the kids. They're smart. <laughs> and so I'm stuck in diaper world. But if I give over to it and in get into it, get down on the floor with them and do that, it, it's revolutionary in my own life. And diaper, diaper time is, yes, it's serving them, but diaper time is changing you. That is the deal. And when you do this, when you lean into this, like circumstances, they may change, but God's provision never changes. God is always there. In fact, if you're unfamiliar with this statement, write it down. Where God guides, God always provides. Where God guides, guides God always provides. It may not be the way you think he needs to do it, but again, who's smarter? Who's smarter? God or you? Look at the, just, we're going to just read a couple more verses of this story. Uh, seven through nine. So, some time later, the brook dried up. Well, how long, Pastor Mike? I don't know. I know the whole experience is three years. Some time later, a year, it's a drought, right? So brooks dry up in a drought. So some time later, the brook dries up because there'd been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. Wow. See what, he see what God's doing in him? He's emptying himself. He's teaching him to just follow him. Just do what he says. And just because things aren't going my way doesn't mean they aren't going God's ways. God knows what he's doing. He's got a plan. It doesn't look like it, Pastor Mike. You have no idea what's going on. I get it. I don't. God does. And he has it. He's got your back. He knows what to do. Commit to follow God wherever, whenever, whatever. Verse 9, go at once. Verse 10, so he went. See, we have to listen. We have to listen. God's speaking to us all the time. But if we don't have the habit of listening to him, and none of us do this perfectly, certainly not me, I'm just saying, this is the story of Elijah. And, and so in your life, like what are the next steps for you? What does it look like for you? Some of you aren't involved in serving yet. You're new to the church. You're trying to figure it out. So you need to go to Next Steps Weekend and see what uh, different choices are. Oh, but my life's kind of hectic and crazy. I get it. But you have to start having the habit of serving. If you don't develop the habit of serving, you're never going to grow in a bunch of ways, and you're not going to have the habit. The ha your brain is going to stay wired the same way. How many of you want to have your brain improve? Raise your hand. You get to decide. It's no longer even a mystery, quite frankly, which is really cool about this whole neuroplasticity thing. I mean, it is a mystery. It's a God thing, but it's kind of crazy that we can do it. Now, it's all grace, so this is not simply behavior modification that I'm suggesting. I'm talking about allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and speak to you, and then we make choices and develop habits that actually change the way we actually even see the world. So we're going to pray about this stuff, but look, 
do you only depend on God when it's convenient? Well, that's the big challenge, right? Um, when circumstances change, does my fear get in the way? That's huge for us. Fear getting in the way. This is a big deal for me. I uh, catastrophize. I don't know if you're, how many of you know what that word means? Okay. Yeah, so I, I catastrophize. Teresa, in fact, we were talking about this last night, <laughs> which we always do. And she said, we were talking about it. We, all, we both struggle with it, but I struggle with it more than her. So I tend to forecast. I'm a planner. I'm a, I'm a natural strategist. Not that she's not. It's just that I have a habit. So I, I look at the future and I catastrophize it. And, and I'll have like uh, 10 strat ops. And I, I run through them in my mind. I woke up this way <laughs> this morning. True confession. Like I literally woke up with like a strat op in my brain that was totally jacked up. <laughs> and it was all about catastrophizing. Anyway, so when I do that, fear gets in my way. So I have to choose faith, not fear. And if I can take captive that thought and make it, if I can develop the habit of taking captive the thought of catastrophizing and, you know, give it over to God. If I, can, if I can develop that thought and then putting my mind on the things of God and choosing faith, not this is Elijah. So he's having to do this. This is you and I. We have to, it's a habit. And I'm, I'm working on it. I'm reading another book about it right now. Anyway, am I committed to no matter what or are there conditions on how much I will rely on God? Okay? So stand with me. This is how I want us to end. We're going to pray together. Outside, you guys stand up as well. In fact, if you're watching this online, I'd, Stand up. <laughs> Stand up. Uh, we're going to pray. And I don't know which one you relate with more. I don't know what, what it is, per se, but we all struggle with this. This is a battle all our lives. It just shifts. Diaper time evolves. Okay? So let's bow our heads and pray. Father, I thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. I thank you for Elijah. I thank you for the lessons of history. I thank you for the miracle by which we have the Bible today. The miracle that we have scripture in our hands and can touch it and feel it and memorize it and meditate upon it and get it in us. And that through that whole process, Lord, there is this spiritual, physical relationship that evolves and changes the actual way in which you've created us to be, which is just a trip. And we are so thankful for it. In fact, repeat this after me. I thank you, God. For all you're desiring to do in my life. How you want to teach me new things. To form my brain. To establish your ways in my life. And so I choose you. I choose your ways. Help me to learn the lessons of Elijah. Use me in ways that are beyond my wildest dreams. Help me to see them and step into them. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Give God a hand for what he's doing.